Good morning and uh, thank you, Gordon. I'd like to start with a question, and uh, this may be a little different today and kind of where I go with this and where we end up may be a little surprising, but, but here's the question I want to ask. Do you ever pray when you're angry? Or let me ask another closely related, better question. Do you ever pray when you're angry with God? Or is that impossible? Is it out of order? Downright wrong, maybe even, even verging on the blasphemous. I'm pretty sure most of us have been in that place. Some could be there at the moment where we're really frustrated and we're fed up because something is happening or has happened that we don't understand we don't like, we don't appreciate, we don't want, and we're annoyed and we're angry. And if we're honest, we're annoyed and we're angry at God for letting it happen, for allowing it to happen. But what do we do? Well, as Christians, and I, I want to speak specifically to those who are, I think we face a number of choices. One, we give God the silent treatment. We, we don't pray, won't pray, can't pray, and so we shut down all communication. Well, the second option is we deny our feelings, and therefore we still pray, but we suppress our anger, and we avoid being honest with ourselves and honest with God about the thing that's getting to us. It's eating away at us. Or the third option is we vent and express our anger and our frustration with God and to God in prayer. And I want to be really careful this morning, but I do think there is a place for option three. I do think that praying in anger is okay at times. It's appropriate. And I say that because there are examples in Scripture of this practice, of this actually taking place, it actually happening. But even in saying that, we do need to tread cautiously. The Apostle Paul makes the following point to a group of Christians in Ephesus. In your anger, complete the sentence for me. In your anger, do not sin. See, God doesn't want us to deny our feelings. But clearly what we do with them, how we handle our feelings is critical. Feeling and experiencing anger is part and parcel of life. But what we do next, what we do in light of those feelings is significant. It has huge implications for our spiritual well-being and growth. And during our 40 days of prayer, we have been looking at some of the ways that we can and that we should and that we do approach God in prayer. And we've called this series Conversation and Encounter because that's what prayer is. It's a dialogue and it's a meeting. And so far, we've thought about praying in adoration. We've thought about praying in expectation. Last Sunday morning, we looked at praying in humility. This morning, we're looking at a slightly alternative and maybe surprising approach, praying in anger. Now, I'm not suggesting, unlike the other three, that this is how we should approach or come to God in prayer every time. But I am wanting us to recognize and admit that we can, 
and sometimes should come in this frame of mind. One of the most obvious places to turn whenever you start talking like this is the Psalms. Because on more than one occasion, you come across examples of people who are praying through gritted teeth. People wondering what is going on. People questioning God, asking why. And as most Bible commentators acknowledge, there is a definite sense of frustration and anger in their praying voices. So, for example, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Where are you, God? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 10. Why are you so far from saving me, God? So far from the words of my groaning? Psalm 22. Why have you forgotten me, Lord? Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our misery and our oppression? Psalm 44. And on and on you could go. But this morning, I actually want to look at the angry prayer of an Old Testament prophet. Or to be more accurate, I want to look at the prayer of an angry Old Testament prophet called Jonah. And Jonah was annoyed at God. And he was annoyed with God. He really didn't like the way things turned out. He was deeply frustrated and upset and disappointed. But rather than opt for silence, rather than hide or deny his feelings, Joseph prayed in anger. And we read his angst-filled prayer in Jonah 4. It's page 928 in the Red Pew Bibles if you want to follow along. And as we often do here at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's Word. We are going to read the entire chapter, although probably not deal with all of it in detail because we have done before. But anyway, let's, let's stand together as we listen to God's Word. Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city of Nineveh. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their left hand from their right and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? 
grab a seat. I, uh, I know that most of us know Jonah's story, but here's just a kind of quick recap. If you look at the very first verse of the opening chapter, you discover that right from the word go, Jonah is not happy with God. Because having been asked, or rather instructed, to go to Nineveh, Jonah refuses. He does a runner, or at least he tries to, and he boards a ship, and he heads off in the opposite direction from where he's meant to be going. And then this freakish storm erupts, which Jonah reckons and realizes is all his fault, and so he tells the ship's crew to throw him overboard, which they promptly do, and the minute that Jonah hits the water, everything calms down. Jonah has little chance of survival in the open sea, and so God provided a huge fish to swallow him. Jonah spends 72 hours in its belly. He prays, and then he is vomited onto dry ground. God then, for a second time, asks or instructs Jonah to go to Nineveh. This time he agrees, not surprising after what happened when he disagreed. And Jonah was given a very specific message to proclaim that in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. It's going to be overthrown. And so Jonah delivers this message, it says, at the top of his voice, and he waits. But almost immediately, the Ninevites, from the greatest king included to the least, respond positively, repent, and believe. And as a result, God changes his mind. God relents from sending calamity. And God spares 120,000 people. And Jonah cracks up. Jonah is not happy, to say the least. As far as Jonah is concerned... This is all wrong. In fact, to quote what we read, this is very wrong, God. Jonah's upset. He didn't like what God has done. He doesn't like what God has not done. This is not what Jonah wanted. This was not what he expected. This is not what he appreciated. And so he becomes angry. Now, I don't know about you, But at one level, the more I think about that, the more I read Jonah 4, verse 1, and stop there, the more encouraged I am. Because Jonah, the prophet of God, the man who disobeys and is then miraculously rescued by God, the man who then prays one of the most moving prayers in Scripture from inside the belly of a fish, read it in Jonah chapter 2, it's one of the most moving, beautiful, amazing prayers in all of God's Word. The man who then obeys God, who bravely delivers God's word to a whole city and then witnesses what can only be described as mass revival, that man responds not in worship, but in anger. When things don't happen that he understands or likes or wanted, he doesn't simply accept them. He doesn't submit to a bigger perspective, a greater picture What he does is he becomes angry, annoyed, frustrated, in fact, furious. And that really encourages me. And if you're here this morning 
and you're struggling to get your head around the ways of God, if things are happening in your life that seem all wrong, in fact, seem very wrong, then I hope Jonah's story and reaction brings a little relief and insight. Because even some of the Bible's key characters, the main players in the big story, don't always understand or like what God is doing in and around their lives. And I'll guarantee you there are some here this morning, that's exactly how you feel. But notice the first two, or rather first five words of verse two. But because these matter, he prayed to the Lord. Yes, Jonah was angry. He felt aggrieved. But rather than bottle it up, rather than allow those feelings to fester, or worse still, allow those feelings to cause him to sin, and rather than voice off to others about what was happening, and again, worse still, rather than voice off to others about God, And rather than wait until he calmed down, Jonah talks to God, goes straight to him, prays in anger. He didn't turn away from God, instead he turns to him. I love the contemporary English version, uh, how it captures the opening of, of chapter four. It starts like this, Jonah was really upset and angry, so he prayed. What do you do when you're angry and you're upset? What do I do? Shut down communication? Deny how I feel? Or vent it to God in prayer? And I cannot stress the value and importance of this enough. It's also one of the key lessons you glean from the Psalms. That in your anger and with all your why God and how long struggles, it's vital to maintain the conversation and the encounter. Jonah prayed in anger, but what he prays, what he prays is fascinating. Because this is not, and, and this is where I do need to be careful and where I want to be careful, this is not an irreverent rant nor ever are any of the Psalms. Yes, there is more than an element of complaint in these words. There's more than a sense of, God, I told you so. See, whenever you came to me and said, go to Nineveh, and I fled the I told you you were like this. It's not in the reverent rant, but there is more than a sense of complaint here. It's not disrespectful. But in his anger, in his frustration, in his confusion, Jonah affirms the character of God. And so what Jonah does is, yes, he prays in anger, but he also prays in adoration. And he says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And those words, or a version of them, appear in Scripture a number of times. We've highlighted and celebrated them before. Some of you might remember this volcano image that we used during our series on Moses whenever we came to Exodus 34 and God passed in front of Moses and said these very words. But you can never tire 
and must never tire of their content and truth. And returning to them and restating them will ensure that our understanding of God and His ways is never lost, is never diminished, is never downplayed, is never understated, is never lost or damaged in the long term. We've got to keep coming back to reckoning in our anger at times. Recognizing who God is, His nature, and His character. And on this, the first Sunday of 2015, I do think it's a great way to start the new year by recalling and reminding ourselves of God's nature, the nature of the God that we step into this new year to worship and serve. This may not capture all or every aspect of God's character, but it captures a lot. Here are five descriptions, five characteristics that are affirmed by Jonah, yes, in his anger, but in his adoration. God, you're gracious. He is a God who demonstrates unmerited, undeserving favor on those who simply don't warrant it and will never, ever do anything to deserve it. who are completely unworthy of it. In other words, every single one of us sitting here this morning do not deserve God's grace. And yet he is a God of grace who loves, who actively loves, who shows and expresses love towards people who sin, towards people who rebel, towards people who do their own thing, go their own way, towards people who have this inbuilt propensity to mess things up. And yet God still relentlessly loves, still reaches out, still gives them what they don't deserve and never will deserve. God is gracious. We need to celebrate that and thank God for that and recognize that. And even in our anger, praying through gratitude, God, you are gracious. And secondly, God, you're compassionate or you're merciful. You don't deal with sinners, with those of us who have this inbuilt propensity to screw things up. You don't deal with us as we deserve. Whereas grace has to do with giving people what they don't deserve. Mercy has to do with God from holding from people what they absolutely do deserve, namely his divine wrath and judgment. And the second characteristic of compassion and mercy is closely related to the third, which Jonah acknowledges, God, you're slow to anger. Here is a reminder, God's patient. God is long-suffering. God mercifully withholds his judgment, does not carry it out immediately, does not carry it out quickly. You're slow to anger, God. Fourthly, God, you're abounding in love, or the New Living Translation, you are filled with unfailing love. The New King James Version, you are abundant in loving kindness. God, your love is extravagant. It's unlimited. It isn't held back. It constantly flows. It overflows. It spills out on, over, and for people. It's an unconditional, no-strings-attached love. It's a there There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. Nothing you can do to make God love you any less type love as Yancey once said. God, you're abounding in love. 
understand it. Towards people who don't deserve it. And lastly, Jonah knows that God relents or he turns away from inflicting evil and sending calamity. In other words, he's a God of hope. A God who listens and a God who responds whenever people turn to him, turn away from their wicked ways, just as the Ninevites did. And as Peter would later confirm, God does not want, and we need, to, we need to know this, we need to hear this, we need to express this and say this and shout this, God does not want anyone to perish. Sometimes the message that we send out and that gets heard and gets, that gets received is that, listen, God is wanting to send you to hell. God does not want anyone to perish. God is gracious and compassionate and he's slow to anger and he's crammed full of love and he's eager to turn back from destroying people. And at the start of 2015, can I just invite you to take a moment just take a moment. Take a moment to kind of breathe in grace and exhale praise. This is our God. This is your God. The God you enter a new year with. The God who is there constant, unchanging God. And as you inhale grace, you maybe need to exhale praise through gritted teeth. Now for Jonah, although he acknowledges and recognizes these truths and these facts, let's be honest, it's these realities about God that causes and fuels his anger. You see, saying that God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, etc., is one thing. Vocalizing it is one thing. Accepting it is another. Especially, and here's the bit, especially whenever you see God's grace and favor being offered to and shown towards and embraced by people that you don't like, that you can't stand, people who have done some truly awful things, people whose behavior turns your stomach, people you find repulsive. You see, right from the start of Jonah's story, it wasn't so much what God asked him to do that created the problem. Leaving his current situation and going somewhere else to deliver a message, that wasn't the main issue. The thing that stuck in Jonah's throat that caused such a negative reaction was who God asked him to speak to. Now, although we don't get a massive insight into the makeup of Nineveh and what the people are like from the book of Jonah, other than they were wicked. If you read Nahum, for example, you find that the Ninevites were guilty of hatching evil plots against God. They exploited the helpless. They were guilty of war crimes. They were guilty of idolatry, prostitution, witchcraft. I mean, this was a sick broken society. And so going to Nineveh to bring God's word, well, that was never going to be an attractive prospect. 
And although God's initial instruction to Jonah was, Jonah, I want you to go and preach against it, which at one level might sound like an appealing idea, I tell you what, God, yeah, I, I will go and give them what for. You see, Jonah knew, even though that might have been an appealing idea, Jonah knew that what this actually meant, what this actually meant was there was every chance the Ninevites were going to respond positively. There was a distinct possibility that sick, broken society might be forgiven. There was more than a glimmer of hope that they might just experience the amazing, transforming, grace-filled love of God. And that led Jonah to jump on a ship and head in the opposite direction. And as it turned out, it's exactly what happened. The Ninevites believed God, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. They were urged by their leaders to urgently call on God and turn from their wicked ways. And guess what? God spares them. God showed them unmerited, undeserved favor, and Jonah is hacked off. And he's angry, and yet he still prays. And I don't want to veer too far off our main point. I'm nearly done this morning. And the main point this morning is there are times whenever we do and can and must pray in anger. I don't want to veer too far off it, although this is closely related to it, but we, let me restate something that we have said before as we have explored this story. There is no one beyond the reach of God's love and forgiveness. Not even a bunch of people with a reputation for wickedness, cruelty, deceit, violence, and corruption. And even though we may think there are some people who don't deserve to be forgiven, who don't deserve a chance to repent, who deserve nothing other than judgment, other than punishment, even immediate destruction. Because they're so twisted, they're so far gone, they're so sick. The story of Jonah reminds and challenges us to think differently and to come face to face with the amazing grace and compassion and mercy and love from an amazing God. I can't, I find this difficult, I'd be really honest at times, even to preach this and to say this. Because how did I look at, how did I see people beyond help, hope, damned? Back to Jonah's prayer in anger. And if we're still in any doubt about how frustrated he is, and you heard this, he says, God, just take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And he repeats this again, verse 9. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead, he says. And Jonah's anger is intense. This is pretty extreme. But what happens next is intriguing because God clearly doesn't grant Jonah his request. God doesn't take his life from him. But neither does God shut down all communication because Jonah has overstepped the mark. See, praying in anger or when angry doesn't mean God ignores us or refuses to listen because, you see, God knows our hearts. He knows how we feel. As the psalmist says, God knows every word before we even say it. And therefore, if we are angry, and if we are angry with God, don't deny that, and don't stop praying. 
continue the conversation and the encounter, and then listen. And this is listen as God meets you in your anger, and then speaks into your situation, and speaks into your attitude, and speaks into your frustration, and potentially, like Jonah, challenges: Have you any right to be angry? Have you? And so what we discover is that God hears Jonah's prayer. And then he begins to work on his attitude towards God, towards the Ninevites. And he asks Jonah a direct question. I've just said it there. Is it right for you to be angry? And then he uses a plant and he uses a worm and he uses an east wind and he uses the blazing sun. And then he finally challenges Jonah with a heart-searching question. And he says this, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? And the thing about that question is it's just left hanging. We never hear Jonah's answer. We know what his answer should be. We all do. And that's why it's left hanging. And I believe Jonah knew the answer. And if you're here this morning and you're angry, and you're angry with God about what's happening and why it's happening, or if you find yourself in that place anytime soon, let me encourage you to take Jonah's example and pray in anger. Take everything to the Lord in prayer, but like Jonah, reaffirm and recall the character of God and allow this ongoing conversation and encounter to challenge you and to transform you in your anger.